All right, turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews 12. Uh, Hebrews 12. Now, I'll remind everybody that in two, two weeks on Sunday, we have our um, city, I don't know, our, city, our church-wide Thanksgiving bill at the community building. That is at the community building. It is next week. Thank you. It is next week. So uh, we'll have church services here. And everybody bolted around to the Pioneer Park community building. And that is wonderful times together. And then I sent out an email to everyone here a while back. I actually sent it twice uh, with a, a calendar for the remainder of the year. So uh, uh, just kind of look at that. If you, don't, if you didn't get it, let me know. All right, today in Hebrews 12, if you're there, today... What I'd like to do um, is just stop and pause for a minute. Um, I, this, this year, especially the last half of this year, has been truly amazing uh, in this church. There has been some just incredible revelation that's been brought forth with a lot of anointing. Um, Growing deeper than I think that I've ever seen. Um, and there's just so many of them. And they all connect in one way or another. You know, it's because that's how God does. He lays a line and he lays another line. A precept, they touch each other and they just kind of lead you through to what he's showing you. And uh, so today, I wanted to take uh, today and sort of connect a lot of those dots together because they're not even dots. They're like huge boulders of truth, of revelation of where God has taken the church. And uh, just the intensity of it and the, um, the, uh, the magnitude of it being here, I think you guys are called for some serious leadership issues uh, in doing what God's going to do in, in the coming days. So uh, your life is going to be different going forward. There's a lot of things that, that's changing right now. Lots of things are changing. So just get ready for it. Now, um, in Hebrews 12, real quick, let's just read verse 26. Um, God's voice shook, then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more, I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, that word about the shaking is out there in the spirit. There's a lot of people saying it. Uh, Prophets everywhere are speaking to the shaking. Now, this scripture tells you that there was another shaking. There was a first shaking. But at the end, there is a second shaking. And we're, we're, we're coming up to it. And I think he's already actually started in some ways with the church. He is, he's rattling us right now. Uh, you know, many of you had, have had to deal with fear here lately as life changes. And uh, that, that can get to you. I mean, some of it is really heavy fear is that that is that your lot in life it is to be afraid 
and shaken during the times that are ahead? I think it's a legitimate question because when it gets personal, like Job, the thing which I so greatly feared has come upon me, the thing which I dreaded is here now. Those are serious things. And I think he's throwing them out there. But what should you do about those things? Is your call to be among all that is shaken? Because there is a portion out here, he speaks to it, that cannot be shaken. How much of the, that which is, cannot be shaken is in you? And how much of other things that can be shaken are in you? He's going to get rid of stuff. But that which cannot is going to remain. We know this, that we have an example set for us with Moses, because he was at the first shaking. When he uh, offered a covenant to the children of Israel as they, they came out of Egypt, and they stood in front of Mount Sinai, he asked them, God told them, asked them, do you want to be my people? You want to be my treasure? And uh, will you keep the commandments? They said, yes. The mountain began to shake. That whole mountain began to shake. And it was, I mean, it was a scary sight. And, and it was so bad, look at verse 21, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. So Moses was in fear and shaking at the first shaking. Is that our example? Is that what's going to happen to us? I think it's a, it is an honest question. And you can throw religion at it all you want to, but when your world gets shaken, I guarantee you a lot of religious thinking goes by the wayside. You're going to check your whole card when things begin to rattle around you. I've lived in this before. Well, <clears throat> is that our calling? Uh, and the answer is no. He's got more for us. Even Moses learned something after the first shaking. And I think it's something that we can take, we can glean some information out of and use for us going forward. Moses found something because of the quaking and the terrification. Oh, terrification is a good word. Uh, terrification. Uh, he was rattled. Exodus 33. After, after that happened, and he went up and got the Ten Commandments, y'all know the story. And he came back down, and they're dancing. They were all Baptists that had fallen. They were dancing. And so, I love Baptists. I really do. Uh, and so, you know, he threw the tablets out. He broke them. And, uh, I mean, it was like a disaster. People died. Several thousand people died that day. They got on Moses' side. Some of them did, and they killed a bunch of the ones that didn't get on Moses' side. So, after the shaking, after his experience of fear and shaking himself, he goes into another realm, a different level with God. And I think that's what we should be looking toward, not what happened to him at the first shaking. Because there was plenty of scriptures that showed you that we're, that we're not among those that will be shaken like he was. And I, I preached that last time I was up here. So you'll listen to it. It's pretty good. Now, in Exodus 33, after they messed up, after he is over his shaking thing, then there comes this moment of truth. And this is so like God. When we mess up, many times you're going to find your deeper revelations come after you mess up. It's crazy. You think you would go the other way and get more. No, no, no. He said, I will meet you at the mercy seat. 
So where you find your greatest uh, experiences with God is when you need mercy. Isn't that crazy? Everything's upside down. So Moses did that, and <clears throat> this is what happened to him. This is, and I'm going to connect some stuff that Al brought last Sunday. And let me just take a quick moment here. If you weren't here for the teachings of Al Houghton, then you really owe it to yourself to go back and watch them on Facebook Live, especially Sunday morning. That was ridiculous. I mean, ridiculously deep and good. Very, very, very powerful stuff. I had never heard that before. I've been in this business for 40 years. I had never heard that. That was something else. So we're going to kind of connect where he, where he started on Sunday morning. After the, the big mess up in Exodus 33, and God has given them a chance maybe to get it right with him. Instead of being all, you know, morose and downcast. I love this about Moses and some other guys that are in the Bible. Instead of just being kicking yourself moment, he doubles down and dares to ask God for more of God. Isn't that crazy? When you feel the most unworthy and you prove it to yourself that you failed, that's when you ask for more of God. You'll never earn more of God. So if we take that part out of the question, you'll never earn more. But God will give more. And it's usually to the humble. Nothing humbles you like your own failure. Truth. Nothing. It humbles like my failure. I see me. And that's what Moses did. Verse 15. He said to God, God said, you guys go over to the promised land. And he said, well, I will go with you. And Moses says, okay, 15, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. And I tell you what, Moses, when he's, when he's going to roll the dice here and ask for more, he's putting himself on the line too. Because look what he says. If you don't go with us, leave me here. You can take the rest of them, but I, I don't want to go without you. I'm willing to give up everything that you ever said that you would do for me if I could just stay here with you. If you don't go there, I want to go where you go. Wherever it is. It's back into the wilderness. Back to Egypt. Back into the ocean. I'll go there with you. But I don't want to go to the promised land, the great stuff, if you don't go too. So, I mean, he really puts it on the line. For how then will it be known that your people... And I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us. So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. Now, this is why you need to go listen to Al Houghton's teaching from that last study. We will be separate. I never saw this word then this way. This is a word for wonders. Pala. We will be wonders. And he's, he actually had given them a taste of that earlier in this book. When he came to them in Egypt and started doing all these judgments, he gave them a taste of being a pala. Something wonderful. The world can't give that. But times with God are that. He says, you've already given us this taste of being a pala. I cannot go away from that. And this is where he then starts to double down. The Lord said to Moses, 
I will do this thing that you have spoken, for you found grace in my sight, and I will, and I know you by name. And then he, Moses says, so please show me your glory. He continues to ask for more. And this next line, then he said, God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, but you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said to Moses, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. And so it shall be, but while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Now this has been a recent revelation. There is a place by God. It's a very, very special place, folks. Now, <clears throat> he did that. He, he actually went to a place he'd never been before. And God came down to where he was and was with him, side by side with Moses, face to face. Well, he saw his back. Now, the question, let's just keep going here. We'll look down in chapter 34, verse 5. Now, the Lord descended in the cloud. He stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, precious, and merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth, and he worshipped. Then he said, If I have now found grace in your sight, Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. And God says, Behold, I make a covenant. Before all your people, I will do palas, such as marvels, such as never been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among them whom you are or shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing, a fearful thing that I will do with you. And behold, I am sending you into the promised land. So before they went into the promised land, they, they, they added a couple major elements to their, to their game. They were going to experience wonders. <laughs> and Al brought it out. It's a noun and a verb. And that's, just, that's way above my pay grade. One of them is in the state of being, the other one is you are actually doing it. The verb. So he's gonna, he's going to make you a wonder. And then he's going to use your wonder to do stuff around you with other people. It's crazy. And they were prepared now to go into the promised land. Well, <clears throat> I want to talk to you today about that place beside God. I've talked to you before about it. I want to talk to you a little bit more about it today. This is a big deal. There is a special place here. My question to you today is that place, that place besides God, is that for all believers? That's one question. Second question. Will all believers go there if they are invited? And I think those are... 
honest questions. And don't be so quick to answer the question before you see what the Bible says about it. Because to think that it's a cheap thing would be a mistake on your part. There's a special thing. And nothing with God that is special, and all things are, are not cheap. They're not cheap. So let's look at it. We're invited. So what does it take? Look over at Psalm 73. He kind of speaks to this, in a sense, in a roundabout way. not talking about this exact issue, but he's talking about something that you have to have to, to be able to answer the invitation. For me, this scripture became real when God, after Phyllis died, I mean right after Phyllis died, and I was in no good shape, woke me up and asked me three times like he did Peter, do you love me more than these? Great question. And I think it's sort of the ticket in if you could answer the question, because that is kind of the essence of it all. Do you love God? More than anything. More than anything. My answer back to him, it was, a, it was a surreal thing. I heard God quoting scriptures to me like he did Peter. And I found myself in the spirit quoting scriptures back to him. Our conversation was made up of scriptures back and forth. And let me tell you what, that's a, that's a safe thing to do, by the way. You know, if you can answer with scriptures, you're kind of taking yourself a little bit out of the, out of the game. And that's probably safe for you. Or safer. So when he would ask me, do I love him, three straight times I answered him with this scripture. And this is, I think, the ticket into that place beside God. Verse 23. I am continuously with you. Psalm 73. I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel. And afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart will fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's the answer. And that is also the question to you. Is God your portion? And there's no other portion, by the way. There's only one place for that. One thing can occupy that place. It's either God or it's something or someone else. Two cannot occupy that place. And this psalmist nailed it. When God asked me, do I love him more than these? The answer scripturally should be this. Well, who do I have in heaven but you? And upon earth, there's nothing I desire beside you. You are my portion. And if that's not true, then you have a difficult time in the future. Real difficult, people. Because that's what he calls for. The great commands of the Lord. The number one command. He distilled it into two. And the first of the two, the biggest of the two, the greatest of the two, is that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and all that is within you. That's number one. 
There is no other, number one. So he desires it, but not everyone gives that. Do you think? Look at the body of Christ right now. Do you think that everyone can answer that question like this psalmist did? Honestly, can you? I will say this. You will be tested on it. And here's more good news. Uh, you don't get to call out that test. God does. I didn't ask for this. He woke me up with this. I thought it was kind of a cheating moment, actually. I thought, listen, what are you doing this? I just, I just lost my wife. And you're asking me that? Really? So he calls it when, when he wants to, to ask it. And you know what? Your moment is then. You can prepare yourself. You can prepare yourself for it. So it's coming. Now, this guy got the point. I can get to that place beside him if that's where I want to be. I like the music this morning. There's no place I would rather be than here in your love. Did we not sing that? I thought, wow, we're on the right path. We got some more path that we were on as well. So he, the psalmist gets it. Now, we know that Moses found that place. God, we just read it. And he went there. Is there other examples of it? And the answer is yes. Turn over to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel 23. These are David's last words. This is his crowning moment. Verse 1. These are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse, Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. So what did David say about himself? He was a man that was raised up on high. And similar to what Moses experienced, there is a place by me. Now turn over to Psalm 16. It was written by David. Psalm 16. Verse 5, he writes like that previous psalm. The previous psalm was written by someone else. David writes this one. Verse 5, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. So he too says, God, you are my portion. The man raised up on high said this. You are my portion. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. Look at verse 8. In the place next to him, this is what you will see again and again. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken or moved. Moses was shaken. David said, no, I will not be shaken. Why? Just like Moses found after the shaking, there is a place by God. If I go there, even though the earth shakes, I will not be shaken. Why? Because I set him right in front of me. All I see is him. And I always do it. Do you know that? I always do it. Do you always? Do you ever? 
Good question, huh? It's a daily deal. And you can go there, folks. You can go there. Jesus opened the door to that. We can with boldness go into the Holy of Holies now. We can do it if we choose it. David chose it. He always is before me. He is at my right hand. So there's that place beside God. Look at another one. Look at First Kings. He ain't the only one. There's actually a bunch of them. And there's probably more than one I'll show you today. But First Kings. Chapter 17. Verse 1. Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, look what he says, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there's that word, that phraseology again, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain three, these years except at my word. And we know from the later uh, scriptures here and also in the book of James, he prayed in the in that place before uh, beside the Lord. He prayed and he commanded, based on what he was getting with God there, for the earth to stop raining. I bet that was a scorcher. Y'all remember? Was it 2011? We had that that gum drought here. Oh my God, that was awful. Three years, no rain. There's real power there beside the Lord. Amen? And he was there. So we have Elijah. We have David. We have Moses. We have Elijah. We have more. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 10. You know, after Moses was invited in to that place beside the Lord, he wrote some new tablets, new, new set of the Ten Commandments, and began to establish this covenant in which they walked in. And one of the first things he did is in verse 8, at that time the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord to stand before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless in his name to this day. So the Levites, one whole tribe of the, of the, of the nation, was given the call, the invitation to come to that place beside the Lord. And to stand there and bless in his name and minister to him. The whole tribe of Levi. Now, in the New Testament, the good news is this. In Revelation 1, 6, you can read it later. Jesus, through his blood, has made all of us priests and kings to our God. We all have that call. We all have that invitation to stand before him. So the question I asked earlier, is this for everyone? In the New Testament, the answer is yes. It is for everyone. The next question. Will we accept the invitation? Now that's the different animal. You are invited. Will you take that place? Well, we know the Levites were in the Old Covenant. Didn't quite get it all right though. Look at Ezekiel. Ezekiel 44. Even though you're called, you have to continuously pass the test of the thing. There's a call that goes with, a test that goes with your calling. 
And it never really stops. Never really stops. Every day is the day of the Lord. Every day is the day of salvation. You've got to deal with God every day. You pick up your cross daily and walk with him. Ezekiel 44. Now, what we're reading here in Ezekiel 44 is the state of the church or the covenant people of God. Get this. After the tribulation period. So, between right now and what's ahead of us, there is a tribulation period. Right after that. I mean, let's assume the tribulation period started today. So we got seven more years. Then in seven years and a day, Ezekiel 44 kicks in. Because in that point, there is a new temple. It's called the Millennial Temple. Ezekiel's Temple. And they do worship there just like they did in the Old Testament. Look what he says about the ministry there. Chapter 44, verse 10. The Levites who went far from me when Israel went astray, who strayed away from me after their idols, they shall bear their iniquities. Now, just think about it for a minute. The Levites who went far from me. So Levites who had this call to be beside him went far from him, right? And when did they do it? When Israel went astray. And what happened to Israel, they were taken into captivity into a place called Babylon. Okay? Let's keep reading. 11. Yet, in this millennial temple, they shall be ministers in my sanctuary as gatekeepers of the house and ministers of the house. They shall slay the burnt offering, the sacrifice for the people, and they shall stand before them... To minister to them, to the people. But, 12, because I minister to them before their idols and cause the house of Israel to fall into iniquity, therefore I have raised my hand in an oath against them, says the Lord God, that they shall bear their iniquity. And they shall not come near me to minister to me as a priest, nor come near any of my holy things, nor into the most holy place. But they shall bear their shame and their abominations which they have committed. Nevertheless, I will make them keep charge of the temple for all of its work and for all that has to be done in it. So they're going to pay for what they do, for what they did. Those priests that were called to be before him, they allowed the people and the culture and the society to get to them, and they just ministered before their God, and before these idols, and God said, that's it. When I come back for the thousand-year reign, you're not going to do that anymore. But look at verse 15. But there is another set of the, of the priesthood, another family among the Levites. The priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, who did keep charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near me to minister to me. They shall stand before me to offer to me the fat and the blood, says the Lord God. They shall enter my sanctuary. They shall come near my table to minister to me, and they shall keep my charge. Interesting, huh? Are all called to it? Yes. Do all go there? Not really. But to those who will, they get to stay before the Lord like that. That's what I want. That's what I want. Now, they fell... 
He said, you know, verse 10, when Israel went astray. So there was, there was a time in history when God's people who had this amazing covenant began to worship other, other gods and still try to worship God as well. And so they went into captivity into Babylon. Look with me to Jeremiah. Let's look at what was being spoken to them during that time. Jeremiah 15. Jeremiah 15. Here's another guy. The question is, is he going to go before the Lord? Is he going to stand beside the Lord? Well, when everybody else in the whole nation is kind of, you know, messing up, including the leaders of the church, it can be challenging. I think maybe we have a time like that right now. Verse 10. Jeremiah says this about himself. Woe is me, my mother, that you have borne the man. Oh, let me start all over. Woe is me, my mother, that you have borne me. And here's how he describes himself. A man of strife, a man of contention to the whole earth. Whoa. Really? The whole earth? He lived in Israel. Now, is he speaking about himself or just himself? He had nothing to do with people in China. You know what I'm saying? I'm a man of contention with the whole earth. Folks, this is prophetic. This is about the prophetic walk witnesses during the time of the tribulation. They will be at strife with the whole earth and contention. And it's hard. He says, woe is me. Then he goes, he kind of defends himself. I've neither lent for interest, nor have men lent to me for interest, and yet every one of them curses me. So if you're into this for, I don't know, more likes on Facebook, you're in the wrong path. You know what I'm saying? That's, that can so be shaken. It's not even funny. If that's what gets your clock going, you need to get a new clock. That ain't going to fly. So this is Jeremiah's description of himself during that time. And, you know, he's got the sons of Zadok over here. I guess that was his only friends because they didn't bend to what was going on around them. And then God speaks to him concerning the people of Israel that are about to go into captivity. Look what he says about the people. These are God's covenant people, too, by the way. This is like God speaking to the church of this day. Surely, verse 11, it will be well with your remnant, you know, all these other people. Surely I will cause the enemy to intercede with you. That's interesting. He's going to cause the enemy to come and intercede with you? What does that mean? Here's what God does, people. If you won't hear him directly out of the voice of his heart that loves you, he will send another messenger to you, even your enemy, who will be the messenger of God as he kicks your can. Time and time again 
in the Old Testament, when God's people began to slip away, he would send a foreign nation that didn't even know God to bust their rear so that they would then turn to God. The enemy is interceding for them. God uses even Satan. He said, I have created the waster to destroy. So he ain't playing around. If you won't get it one way, Jesus said it this way. He, I am the rock. If you come to, if you fall upon me, you'll be broken and I'll bring you. But if you won't fall upon me and be broken, then the rock itself will fall on you and crush you. Real difference, be broken and crushed. So that's what's happening with these guys. The crushing is coming. In the time of adversity, in a time of affliction, can anyone break iron, the northern iron and the bronze? Verse 13. Boy, I mean, this is an amazing scripture here. Because this is coming for the whole world. Your wealth and your treasure I will give as plunder without price because of all your sins throughout all your territories. In other words, the wealth that you are relying on, go read James 5, that's going. Gone, gone, by. I will make you cross over, verse 14, with your enemies into a land which you do not know. For a fire is kindled in my anger, which shall burn upon you. And away they went into Babylon. Let me tell you something about Jeremiah. We're going to read some more here in a minute. But let me tell you something about Jeremiah. This man is somebody you should study. Because he is a prophet to the nation of God at a time that is very much like what we are in right now. He speaks extensively of Babylon. And the, the things he says about Babylon in Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, had to do, yes, with the, these people, but had so much more in those prophecies. It had, to, it had to be about the end times. Go read the book of Revelation. You'll find Babylon's all over the place in there. And God's people were sitting there because they didn't like what he was offering to them, a place beside me. But Jeremiah is still in the game. Verse 15, he speaks back to God. Oh, Lord, you know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. I mean, things were obviously hard for him. This next line just, boy, blows my dress up. God, in your enduring patience, do not take me away. As you're being patient with them, don't, don't let me be taken out of this thing. Know that for your sake, I have suffered rebuke. I mean, he, he's calling it out to God. Look, you know, I'm, I, I'm going to stand in this game. I'm invested here. Notice this, please. It's kind of like Job, huh? <laughs> let me tell you what I think now. You push me this far, I'm going to let it out. Uh-oh. Verse 16, he says, God, your words were found, and I ate them. And your word was to me joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I'm called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I did not sit in the assembly of the mockers. Nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because of your hand, for you filled me with indignation. Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable? 
which refuses to be healed, will you surely be to me like an unreliable stream and waters that fail or that cannot be trusted? God, can I trust you? And so, you know, I mean, it's all out there now, what God's going to do, the cost that it that it, it brings to those that want to walk with him. It's a heavy cost. Verse 19. But God comes back to answer Jeremiah's complaint and his petition. 19. Thus says the Lord. Okay. If you return, then I will bring you back. That's an interesting line. What's he, what is he saying to you? Think? Okay, Jeremiah, it's enough talking now. All right. No more talking. Get a right attitude and come back to me. Don't come back now then. Right? Come back with humility now. You know, I, I heard everything you said, so that was true. But a lot of it is just, you know, you're just belly aching, which is what we do, right? We all complain, don't we? If you return, I will bring you back. And look what the promise is. You shall stand before me. You come to right with this little place beside me. If you take the, out the precious from the vial, you shall be as my mouth. Let them return to you, the people that you're ministering to, but you must not return to them. Who is my family? And I will make you to this people a fortified bronze wall, and they shall fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I'm with you to save you and deliver you, says the Lord. I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked. I will redeem you from the grip of the terrible. So did Jeremiah get to go to that place beside the Lord? I think so. I think so. Wake up. Well, what does that got to do with us here in La La Land? Does that have any application to the church of this day? Look over to Luke. Chapter 21. Luke 21. Luke 21. You can read this chapter. You can read Matthew 10. Matthew 24. You can read all these together because they go together. And all these are about the tribulation period. It's ahead of us. We're called to it. And God wants his people to be his mouthpieces during that time. Look at verse 14, 13, uh, 12. They will lay their hands on you and persecute you. This sounds just like Jeremiah. And persecute you. Deliver you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers. Why? For my name's sake. But it will turn it out for you as an occasion for testimony, being a witness. And then he says, I will give you what to say. All right? Look at verse 34. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing. Do y'all carouse? Any carousers out there? What does that mean? Drunkenness, maybe that's what it means. Uh-oh. 
and cares of this life. Woo. You mean I get all wound up about stuff of life? Yeah, that's not a good thing. Nope. If you get wound up about stuff, whether partying to the point where you don't even think about it, or worrying to the point where it dominates your life, either way, the Lord is not your portion during times like that. Amen. That was a that was a, that was a sweet one. That day will come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Look at verse 36. This is one of those interesting verses in the Bible. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand. Oh, to stand before the Son of Man. Same invitation. There's a place beside him. How do you get there? Well, this says that you, you know, watch and pray that you be, be counted worthy to escape. That is one of the poorest renditions of this scripture out there. The King James and the New King James totally blew this verse. You go read any other verse, New American Standard. You got that, don't you, Josh? You got that? What does it say? 36. Okay, you may have strength. And I don't know where these King James guys got off on being worthy as being strength. And you know how many denominations that have tripped over that one thing right there? They have tried to keep the law until they can't keep them anymore so that they would be counted worthy. That is such a violation of the whole new covenant that God has given us. You will never be worthy. You receive his righteousness. You don't work for it. That's the Old Testament. And I mean, I've been in churches. That used to trip me. You know, I, the, when I first got saved, I wrote down every single command in the New Testament. I went beside and put a C, command, all over the New Testament. And I counted them. There was 160-something. And I asked my wife, how close do you think I am? <laughs> Should ask her. I had already been duped. And to think of this as something you earn. The right, that word, the thing to render worthy is the word, is the word strength. It is eskuo. And here's how Kittles renders that verse. This is much better. Let me just read it to you. The disciples are to ask for strength that they may not be overthrown in the approaching disasters and so they can be able to stand before the Son of Man. Wow. Does that mean, does that read differently? So what is our call then? Not to clean it up some more? Woe to you Pharisees. You clean the outside of the cup. The inside is where the action is. No, 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 no. Understand what God has called you to. As the disasters begin to approach, <coughs> ask you to give, for God to strengthen you with might in your inward man and put on the armor of God so that you can... Stand during the times that's approaching us as his witnesses. Does that make more sense to y'all? I mean, if you read it for what it really says and not what someone wrote a book about, for God's sake, let's get away with all the books. Throw them in the trash. Burn them up. Because God is speaking new stuff that is really the truth. 
He's called us to be his witnesses. And there's no way around it if you just read the Bible for what it says and not what you want it to say. It's as plain as day. Don't believe me, do you? I want to hammer you on this stuff until you either get it or you run. I'm telling you the truth. This stuff is coming at us. All right, so just like Jeremiah, we are called to deal with this stuff. There's one more I want you to look at. Look over in uh, Zechariah. Oh, I love this one. Zechariah. Ooh, dude. Here's another one. This is after they blew it, and now they're coming back to the land and building a new temple. Interesting. So there's all sorts of, you know, tops and shadows of stuff going on here, real prophetic things going on here. And in Zechariah chapter 3, we hear this, verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest. Now, we know what the call to the priests were, right? Stand before the Lord. Minister to him. So here we have a priest. That's a high priest. Standing before the angel of the Lord. And get this. Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. All right, Sister Pam, how does he, how does he oppose them? You read it this morning. We overcome him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony. Who are we overcoming? The devil who stands to accuse us day and night. So here we have him doing exactly the same. This is a picture of the New Testament right here. We're called to come in before the Lord, and the first thing we run into is the devil who's pointing out everything that's wrong with me. And you know what? They're all facts. Yeah, I've got lots of warts and this and that. That's the way it was born. You know, that's the way it is. But there's a new man inside me. All he's looking at is that stuff that's apparent. God sees the heart. And so he, you know, there he is, opposing him. In verse 2, the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. That's us. Then God answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, see, I have removed your iniquity from you. I will clothe you. With rich robes. This sounds like the bride in Revelation 19. I'm clothing you with rich robes. Uh, and I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban over on his head. And they, and they put the clothes on him. And the angel of the Lord stood by. Then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua saying, thus says the Lord of hosts. And the Lord of hosts, again, is one of those monikers, names in the Old Testament for Jesus Christ. Thus says Jesus Christ. If you walk in my ways, and if you keep my commands, this sounds like the book of John to me. If you let me walk in my ways, keep my commands. Look what he promises this guy. Then you will judge my house, and likewise have charge of my courts, and I will give you places to walk among those who stand here. So he, these people that Joshua represents are called to this, to stand beside the Lord. I think he gets to stand next to Jesus. His bride. She stands next to Jesus. So this is a call to the, to the, to the church. And he keeps going in, in chapter four. He brings another character to the table here. Verse one, the angel who's talking with me came back and wakened me as a man waking out of his sleep. And he said to, him, to me, what do you see? 
So I said, I'm looking, and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Verse 3, two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl, one on the left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who, who talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angels who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And he said, I said, No, my Lord. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Now, Zerubbabel was the governor or the, the king, shall we say. So here we have the priest, Joshua, and the king, Zerubbabel. And, and this scripture says, these two guys, the king and the priest, they are the two olive trees standing before the lampstand. Uh, y'all with me? These two guys, king, priest. Look down at verse 11. I answered and I said to him, what are these two olive trees at the right of the lampstand and on its left? And I further answered and said to him, what are these two olive trees that drip into the receptacles of the two golden pots from which the golden oil drains? Then he said, he answered and said, do you not know where these are? And I said, no, my Lord. Verse 14. So he said, these are the two anointed ones. Who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. Now what are they doing? They're standing beside the Lord. They're called to do just what Moses did. What David did. What Jeremiah did. What, what Elijah did. Stand beside the Lord. Now. Very interesting stuff. Revelation. Chapter 11. Revelation 11. Folks, one of the things we've gotten away from is the simplicity that is in the Word. The Bible needs to define the Bible. When you get beyond the Bible going one after another after another, line upon line, you get off into weird imaginations. Faulty doctrine that can be shaken. We need to get back to the simplicity. What's the word say? It says what it, it says. what It says. It means what it says. All right. We just saw the two lampstands, the two olive trees. Verse 11. Chapter 11, I mean. Verse 1. The two witnesses. Then I was given a... And by the way, this is right in the middle of the tribulation period. I was given a reed like a measuring rod. And the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God. The altar and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple. Do not measure it, for it was given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months, three and a half years. And I will give power to my two witnesses. And they will prophesy for 1,260 days, almost three and a half years. Flow the sackcloth. Look at verse 4. These are. These are. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. Did we just read that in Zechariah? These are. So we know that he's referring to the king and the priest of the Old Testament day. These are that. And they have all those characteristics that Joshua went through, and Zerubbabel went through, who, who found out you can't do anything with your own powers by grace. Grace to it. 
But look at verse 5 and 6. If anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. Does that sound like Elijah? And they have power over the waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. Does that sound like Moses? So they have the, the characteristics also of these two guys. And there's more. But we can say for sure that at the end there's two witnesses. They are the olive trees. And if you've been around here at all and listening, one of those olive trees is the church. Go watch the movie. The movie. The two witnesses. It's called the movie. Two witnesses. Go read it. Just listen to it. It's amazing. It's so simple. So there's one of your olive trees being represented. Well, who, where's the other olive tree? Look over in uh, Revelation 14. Verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne. Wow, like that. Ooh, dude. <laughs> new song is a big issue. They sang a new song before the Lord, four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. Look at verse 4. These are the ones who were not defiled with women. Now, I'm telling you, it costs you to be able to be a part of that group that will be standing beside the Lord. Here's part of the cost. They are not defiled. They are virgins. Go read the parable of the ten virgins. You'll get some of it over there. These are the ones who follow the Lamb. Here's another cost. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. He's going to lead you to places you don't want to go. And that you're afraid to go. That you would even have disagreed with. And you will be confronted with your idea about wherever he leads you. Because you know what? Your idea can be shaken. He knows what he's doing. You don't. Do you trust him? But they will. They follow him wherever he goes. They were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. In their mouth was found no deceit. How about that one? They don't speak lies. Just the truth. For they are without fault. Where? Before the throne of God. So these guys are called to go there as well. Who are they? Chapter 7. Revelation 7, verse 1. After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth. If the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, on any tree, I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000. And where are they from? All the tribes of the children of Israel. The other olive tree. you got two, you got two olive trees. The church of the New Testament. The people of God from the Old Testament, they will be saved at the end. They will be saved at the end. 
and they will be brought together, and they will be God's witnesses in the days ahead. How long will they be witnesses? Well, it was at least three and a half years. Gee, I wonder what that does in the pre-tribulation rapture. It just does not fit. I don't care how you spin it. I tell you what, people, when you get into that kind of crap, pardon me, uh, you remind me of my days in law school. You were a legalist, a Pharisee, and you will bend anything to get to the solution that you want. I say that because I've been that. You've got to get off of that boat and get onto his boat and just do what it says. So all of us, I would, would even predict, have got to undo a lot of things that we were taught. I was taught from a pup. I never even thought about it. Never questioned it. Nothing. Why would I want to question a great deal? We're out of here. Where's the cross at in that? What about Jeremiah? What am I going to say to him? Tough luck, dude. You just born at the wrong time. And on and on it goes. Do you really think that the firstborn among many brethren, that would be Jesus, would look at you in the same way if you said, well, I need a ticket out of here. I'm sorry, Jesus, you were just, you know, tough luck. And I know you're my brother, but I'm not like you. Well, I'm supposed to be like you, except right there. Y'all get it? Let's grow up. He's looking for witnesses. That's what he's looking for. It will cost you. But the power that brings it, and I mean the, 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 the reward that you get for being beside him saying, you are my portion. Nothing else even compares. I don't care if it's good or bad. Nothing compares with being with you. This is where we're headed. And we have a lot more to say. I mean, what's, all these guys have been coming in here and they've been bringing this stuff. God has started to show me things that I can't, I just cannot believe how penetrating it really is and how simple it really is. It's not that hard. At least to understand, it's not that hard unless you don't want to. If you don't want to, you know, hey, that's your choice. Go for it. I'm, I'm sorry for you. Because this, this train is running. And it's getting real close. The shaking has already begun to rumble. Have y'all felt it? Anybody been afraid lately? Anybody been attacked in their dreams lately? Yeah. You know, what's going on in the spirit realm that makes you go, whoa. I guarantee you your first, your first reaction is like Moses. Ugh. And then you begin to understand, yeah, but that's just, that's just my sign. Then I'm supposed to close in even more to God because that's not for me. I have faith in the God who promised me things. He is not a man that he should lie. He will set me free from all this stuff that shakes the earth. And it won't shake me because he's got a place for me. Will I go there? Will I? Will you? Time to get real. Time to get very real. Father, I pray that these people will hear your word and let it sink in. Oh, God, would you let us have a heart to hear that and understand it. 
Lord, how many people did you say went into captivity because they did not understand? They had no knowledge. Jesus, how many times did you say, and they closed their ears, lest they would hear with their ears and understand with their hearts, and I would heal them. God, don't let that be our deal. Let it be like Jeremiah. Let us come before you. Do what you called us to do and always be with you. And I know there's a reward there. And like a song, there's no place I would rather be. No, there really, there really isn't. So let this be unto this people in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's a 9 to 6.